know that David cried out to the Lord and said that uh, that child could not come to him, as in that child cannot rise from the dead, but David would one day go to be with that child, speaking of the fact that there is a mercy and a grace of God that is indicated in that passage that a, a baby, a child who is not able to understand the gospel is given the mercy and the grace of God and I believe will be in heaven. And that's a great comfort to those who maybe have a stillborn child or a miscarriage or uh, lose uh, an infant uh, or a toddler. I do believe there's an age of accountability when a child can fully understand and is accountable. But uh, there are cases where I believe there's the mercy and the grace of God. I know there are uh, cases where there is a mental handicap and a child is not able to fully understand. Uh, and then there's a case such as this child, of uh, David and Bathsheba, who, who died. But in God's grace and his mercy, he then gave David and Bathsheba another child. And that child, of course, is Solomon, who would be king. And we see God, again, in his wonderful loving kindness, his grace, his mercy... We see him restoring, forgiving, and we see him renewing, and we see that in Solomon's life. He was loved by God, and Solomon loved God in return. It was promised to David in 1 Chronicles 22 and verse 9 that Solomon would be the next king. So then we see Solomon's humility and wisdom. He prayed for wisdom and direction from God instead of for riches Military conquest or long life, most of us in that situation, most people today, the temptation is to do what? When we are given any kind of opportunity to gain power, to gain wealth, to have a greater fame and fortune, most of us would choose fame, fortune, wealth, popularity. That's what we want. We want Greater, bigger, better, faster, (laughs) whatever it might be. And Solomon knew he needed great wisdom from the Lord. He saw the awesomeness. We looked at it in 1 Kings last week. He saw the awesomeness of the responsibility. He wanted to be a good leader. He wanted to be a good king. He wanted to give the people God's wisdom. He wanted to impart to them Good leadership that would lead them in the ways of the Lord. He cried out to the Lord. And we again, we don't have time to read through the passage again, but we see Solomon's heart in that passage there in 1 first, first Kings, where he wanted desperately to be given God's wisdom and judgment and discernment when leading the people. He saw the tremendous responsibility that it, that it was. And so we see... In his humility, in his wisdom, or excuse me, in his, in his humility, in his submission to God, he prayed for wisdom and direction from God instead of for riches, military conquest, or long life. And God in return blessed him with superior wisdom, with superior riches, with great honor. And then on top of that, still gave him wealth and gave him fame and spread his kingdom into uh, and spread the borders of the kingdom into uh, greater uh, places than it had ever been. But 
is that prescriptive of how we should expect God to bless us today? No, I'm not saying that God doesn't still richly bless and honor those who obey him. Of course he does. But we cannot look at the life of Solomon and say, well, God, I prayed for wisdom and for judgment and for good discernment. How come I don't have fancy cars and a big mansion and lots of property? (laughs) Well, again, in that dispensation, in that time for what God wanted to do, For Israel, God blessed Solomon in that way. And uh, it doesn't mean that we can't see the blessing of God. Star? I do not know. That's a good question. I am not sure. But I need to look that up and find out. I'll try to find out that for you. Because I did not, in my study, did not find that. That's a good question, though. I'll look that up. So his wisdom, then, of course, is tested. We talked about this last week. We know the story well. Here are two harlots, and they both have a child. One child dies as the lady, the mother, uh, accidentally uh, rolls over on the child, or it dies during the night as a result of an accident. And they both come to Solomon, and Solomon's wisdom is tested. And we see God often doing this. God uh, gives us the opportunity to use the wisdom to obey, to show that we're depending on him, that we're trusting him, that we're looking to him for the strength that we need, the wisdom that we need, the help that we need. And we see that with Solomon. He trusted the Lord for wisdom, for good judgment and discernment. And then what did God do? God brought a test. And these two women, they are arguing about whose child it is, and we know there uh, from the story in 1 Kings 3, 16 through 28, when Solomon makes the decision to basically chop the baby in half, the real mom, the biological mom, she speaks up and says, give the baby to the other woman, because she is obviously not wanting her child to die. The one whose child had died and had been a liar, uh, she was like, just go ahead and chop the baby in half. And then neither one of us will have a living child. And obviously in that, God blessed Solomon with great wisdom. And that child was saved alive. And he proved who was the liar and who was telling the truth. And then God spread his wisdom throughout, or he became known for his wisdom throughout the nation and the world. Even the Queen of Sheba would come. And I believe through that, I believe the Queen of Sheba becomes a genuine believer, is saved, an example of a Gentile who gets saved. And uh, we don't have time to necessarily go into all of the details of every instance there. But we do see Solomon's wisdom becoming world famous. And it was a testimony to the Lord. And it was an opportunity for God to be glorified. And Solomon was instrumental in that, used of God in that way. And then Solomon's accomplishments and influence. And you should see some blanks in the outline. We did not get this far last week. But we see in 1 Kings 3, in verse 3, and Solomon loved the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord. Walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. We'll get to that second half of the verse, but let's focus on the first half as we begin. 
in looking at his accomplishments and his influence. He loved the Lord, and he walked in the statutes of David, his father. Here we see Solomon living in obedience. Now, we understand that there were some chinks in his armor. There was a weakness that we'll look at, Lord willing, in just a few moments. But Solomon had the testimony that he loved the Lord. It showed in his life. It came out in his obedience. And love, I I, I talk about faith having working boots, faith having walking shoes, faith having sometimes combat boots. Does not love have action? Does not love show itself in actions? Yes, in attitudes. Yes, in romantic words and cards and roses and chocolates. And I I know I uh, brought up uh, the fact that I'm doing some premarital counseling right now. And so those illustrations seem to come on my on my mind a lot, but as I was meeting with this couple the other day, I was talking about the fact that their love is, yes, very young right now, and that's good. The chocolates and the roses are nice, and the romantic dinners or whatever, there, there's, there's all of that that is part of love. And that romance, that joy of that kind of romance is a good thing, but love is not always chocolates and roses. Love sometimes is dirty diapers and pukey kids in the middle of the night and helping each other out. Love is when someone, uh, when, when the, the spouse is sick or having a bad day, responding in the right way and helping around the house and being a servant. Love is often shown in humility. Love's greatest visibility is in service, in going out of the way for the other person. I talk about many times about the husband and wife relationship. It's 100-0, And on a bad day, it's still 95-5. And that means I am the one giving the 100, I'm the one giving the 99, and I'm the one giving the 95. But we often look at it and the way our world looks at Marriage and love, it's a social construct. Love is love, and it's feelings-based, and it's what you can do for me, and how do you make me feel, and we have this totally wrong view and concept of love. We would not see in Holy Writ that Solomon loved the Lord if it did not show itself in action in the way he lived out his life. And one of those ways in which he showed out his love for the Lord, it was visible, it was very evident, is that he pursued righteous vengeance on his enemies as well as David's enemies. He followed through with God's prescription, God's orders for the righteous vindication on Solomon's enemies and David's enemies who were ultimately God's enemies. We don't have time to go through all of these verses. You can see there's a lot of verses here in 1 Kings chapter number 2. But verses 12 through 46, he deals with Joab. It comes down to, uh, in verses 35, And the king put Benaiah the son of Jehoiada in his room over the host, and Zadok the priest did the king put in the room of Abiathar. And the king sent and called for Shimei, and said unto him, Build thee an house in Jerusalem and dwell there. We see him 
taking care of one individual after another according to God's order. And he followed through and he did what God wanted him to do. And it was part of securing his kingdom, but it was a part of his obedience and showing his love for the Lord by obeying his commandments. How do we show our love for the Lord? By, obe- by obedience, by obeying God's commandments. I know that's a hard one. Again, in that dispensation, that was part of what God would have a king do. There had been a time of mercy and long-suffering for those individuals. And when Solomon became king, God said, okay, this is what you need to do. Out of my desire for holiness, for God's glory, for the consolidation of your power as the ordained king, and for righteous judgment, vengeance belongs to the Lord. Some of these individuals had blood on their hands as murderers, and God in his mercy and his long-suffering had given them time to repent, to turn to him, and now the time was over. In the case of, uh, I believe it was Shimei, there was even a further standard. He said, you violate this standard, this is what your consequence will be. And unfortunately he did. He violated that standard and Solomon followed through. Again, I know that's something that's not what we think of as uh, normal for obedience today, but in that dispensation it was. And the point is, the principle of obedience was what was honored. The obedience to God's command, even in taking righteous vengeance on his enemies and David's enemies, who were ultimately shown to be and proven to be God's enemies. And then God gave him great wealth and dominion. We've talked about this a little bit already. He reigned 40 years. And then we see his love for the Lord in that he built the temple and dedicated it to the Lord. 1 Kings 5 and 6. 2 Chronicles 2 through 4. Parallel passages. Entire chapters given to the detail of the temple. Now remember, David wanted to build the temple, but God said no. He had too much blood on his hands from being a, a general, from being a king of war, of conflict. And so God did not allow David to build the temple, but that was David's heart. Instead, David was allowed to begin the preparations for the building, but it was Solomon who built the temple. And Solomon did it with great honor and glory with a lot of expense. Now, one of the criticisms of Solomon is he spent more time and money building his own tem- or his own, his own house, his own palace, and that was one of Solomon's uh, weaknesses, I understand. But we cannot overlook the fact that Solomon made it a high priority in his prayer of dedication in 1 Kings 8 is incredible. The humility... The honor that's given to the Lord, we read in verse 22, And Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord. This is 1 Kings 8, verse 22. 
when Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands toward heaven. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee in heaven above or on earth beneath who keep his covenant and mercy with thy servants that walk before thee with all their heart, who has kept with thy servant David my father that thou promised him. And then it goes on and on. And then the sacrifices that were made. Do we not again see the necessity of the worship and the proper worship of God? The priority of worship. The preeminence of God. The preeminence of Christ. Do we not see that very clearly in the theme of Solomon's life? While he was obedient, while he was doing everything that he possibly could with, again, the weaknesses that we will will look at. But we see Solomon's passion, his heart, his desire is to obey the Lord, to honor the Lord, and we see, again, the priority of worship, of of the proper worship of God. And it just continues to bother me that man is so flippant about worship. And it's almost as if God is just another man, a buddy, a superstar, a celebrity, an athlete, a politician. And that's the way we treat God. Yeah, he's the man upstairs, as I heard someone say the other day. Um, He was trying to... I, I understand. As soon as people find out that I'm a pastor, I'm a preacher, it, it, sometimes it's pretty obvious. The, the click. I can just see it. They've got to they do their little religious thing to impress me. It's like I'm, I'm not a man of the cloth. Okay? I'm not father. <laughs> anyway. But it's, just, it's funny sometimes that the, the people will put on their, a front. And, and it's, I, you're not standing on holy ground when you come and talk to me. Okay? You don't have to take off your shoes. Um, I'm just a man, just an average man. I have feet of clay. I bleed red blood. But it's funny how people will, they have to try to impress. And many times it's because their life is, is not being lived for the Lord. But they have to say something or do something to try to impress me. And this guy was doing this the other day, and he referred to God as the man upstairs. I personally can't stand that phrase. I can't, I understand what people are trying to say, and they're, anyway, you know what I'm saying. I can't stand it when God is referred to as the man upstairs. I couldn't stand it growing up, and to this day I don't like it when my mom is referred to as the old woman, and my dad is referred to as the old man. I am not the old man, and my kids don't call me the old man, and I hope that they don't allow other people to, well... There's only so much they can do. But I hope that in front of other people, they don't refer to me as my old man or as their mom as the old woman. Okay? Now, I understand I'm old. I came off the ark with Noah. I understand. In some people's, in some kids' minds, I understand. Okay? But I, I don't find that to be particularly respectful. God is not just a man upstairs. For one thing, he's not a man. Yes, Jesus is the God man, but he's God. He's not just a man upstairs. 
And I think God has been brought down to man's level. And worship has been so casual and so flippant. And it's just now as if God is just another celebrity, another superstar, another famous person. And we celebrate that. We celebrate God the way we celebrate some famous person, some celebrity. And as a matter of fact, and I'm going on a rabbit trail, I realize. But we put... I mean, there were, there were people by the thousands, if not millions, who watched the queen's funeral and the king's coronation. And people were so mesmerized and caught up in all the pomp and circumstance. And, oh. and they'll have more honor and respect for a man's tradition for a monarchy that doesn't even function with really any kind of political power, though I know there's some sort of official authority that they have that allows the parliament to even be able to exercise its authority, however that all works. But there are people who have more respect and more honor and they express more dignity for a man-made traditional service that, can I say, in some ways made a mockery of Christianity because of the way the ecumenical flavor was as they were quoting some of the scriptures and as they were mentioning God and there was an ecumenical flavor that I thought was very dishonoring to traditional Christianity, to biblical Christianity. But that's another side note. That's a rabbit trail of a rabbit trail. But my point is, there is more honor, dignity, and respect for many people for that than there is for the God of the Bible. And we see in Solomon a fear of God and a respect for God and a reverence for God that put him on his knees. Yes, he's standing and he's holding out his hands, but his prayer is an incredible prayer of devotion, of reverence. And he exalts God, and that temple was done with such elaborate and detailed and distinctive qualities because it was done for the Lord to exalt God and to show that Jesus Christ and that God himself, as Jesus Christ would, of course, honor the temple and fulfill all the prophecies uh, in, the, in the New Testament. But God was highly lifted up in Solomon's reign at least in his early days. The covenant of David was renewed with him. We see his honor for God, his reverence for God in renewing the service of the priests and the Levites. So Solomon loved the Lord. He walked in the statutes of David, his father. We see in him a desire to obey the Lord, to honor the Lord, to exalt God, and to see God reverenced in his kingdom. And for the wisdom of God to be exercised in his judgments, in his policies, in his rulings, in his leadership. But we see even in 1 Kings 3, as we were reading earlier in verse 3, 1 Kings 3, in verse 3, only he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. I left off a couple of notes. What were his weaknesses? He allowed sacrifices in the high places. What were the high places? The high places were often where there would be idols, false gods. Or it would be a type of synchronistic type of worship where we worship God, but we worship him our way up here instead of the way God wants us to in the temple 
or in before the days of the temple, the tabernacle. The high places, the groves, were where false gods were worshipped, or there was the man-designed worship of God, but not the way God would have man worship in the temple, in the tabernacle. So it was either synchronistic worship, you want to call it ecumenical worship, or it was entirely false worship of an idol or a false god. And that was a chink in Solomon's armor. It was an Achilles heel, so to speak, a weakness. And eventually, we read in 2 Kings 23, 2 Kings 23 in verse 13, as we know the life of Solomon well, for 2 Kings 23 in verse 13, in the high places that were before Jerusalem, which were on the right hand of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had builded for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Zidonians, for Chemosh, the abomination of the Moabites, and for Milcom, the abomination of the children of Ammon, did the king defile. What happened in the high places in the groves? Eventually, they became the places of idolatry, where there was a weakness and the poison of that sin of idolatry infected Solomon and his kingdom. And then we have his wives. His wives caused, caused him to turn from the Lord. He had 700 wives and 300 cucumbers, con- concubines. <laughs> if I can borrow, I'm borrowing that from Rand Hummel. I always laugh when Rand Hummel would refer to 300 concub- or cucumbers. 700 wives and 300 concubines. And we know that a lot of those were political treaties, but um, I, say this in, in, I say this in the right way. Don't take this the wrong way. But I, I'm happy with one wife. That's, that's all I can handle. I'm not saying anything disparaging about Kelly. I'm, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying anything about, that's not a negative statement about her at all. But 699 more? What man, what man, really, men, in, on, in all honesty, 699 more? We're, we're, we're a mess just trying to be a good husband to one. Right? Much less 699 more, 700. And then the 300 concubines, and we know that the concubines were basically just a harem. Okay? Um, his, his heart was turned from the Lord. He, he was even in Second Kings 23 and verse 13, specific gods or goddesses that he began to worship there in those groves, those high places. And Many of those wives were idolaters. And they turned his heart from the Lord. And all the way back in Deuteronomy 17, verses 15 through 17, God warns Israel, knowing the day would come when they would want a king and God would allow them to have a king, obviously in God's providence, in his time, and in his plan, God would allow them to have a king but it was warned, Moses warned in Deuteronomy 17, verse 15, Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose, one from among thy brethren shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother, but he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt, to the end that he should multiply horses. 
For as much as the Lord hath said unto you, ye shall henceforth return no more that way, neither shall he multiply wives to himself that his heart turn not away, neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. God warns Israel, when the day comes that you want a king and God allows you to have one, here are the things you must remember. He must come from among your brethren, and he must not multiply Military power, horses, chariots, riches, nor wives. God warned Israel about the temptations of military power, of wealth, of immorality. So what are some closing lessons? Even the godliest of men are still sinners, still have feet of clay. And it's a warning to all men, it's a warning to all of us, but particularly to those in leadership. And all of us are in, are in leadership in one way because we all have influence. By the general definition of influence, leadership is influence. We all have influence somewhere with some people in some way. So all of us are warned about the need for godliness, for a righteous lifestyle, for character, godly character that's patterned after the word of God and obedience to him. But even the godliest people are still sinners. And we see with Solomon, he had weaknesses. He had an Achilles heel, so to speak. Are we not warned about pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall? To him who, let him who thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. I can't help but wonder if Solomon, as he got more wealth, as he got a bigger kingdom, as he got more fame, I can't help but wonder if Solomon didn't become a little bit too big for his britches. can't help but wonder if his head got so big it wouldn't fit through these double doors in the back. And you know people like that, who I've met many of them through the years. Many of them play professional sports. Their heads are bigger than the stadium that they play in or the arena they play in. If they walked outside when it rained, they'd drown because their nose is stuck up in the air. Pride is deceptive. Pride is dangerous. We have to be on guard. And there is a spiritual pride. We can even be lifted up even in our own spirituality and think that we're better than others. Oh, I belong in that place of service. I belong in that place of visibility. Oh, I belong. Oh, how come I didn't get noticed? That preacher, that deacon, that other church member. And before long, we think that we're better than everybody else because... We did this, or we did that, or we know the Bible more. Whoa, we got to watch out for pride, even spiritual pride. God wants faithfulness until the very end. What did Paul say? I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I mean, we can be faithful for 50, 60, 70, 80 years. But if God has us live to 100 does he want us to be faithful for 80 years and then not be faithful for 20? And are we really faithful if we're unfaithful for 20? It's a constant reminder. It is uh, commanded of stewards that a man be found faithful. Uh, we need to be faithful to the very end in, in every way. It's, again, the same old uh, illustration of we tell our children to go do a series of chores and you make a list, and there's five things on the list. If they did three of them, are they faithful? If they did four of them, are they faithful? Are they, if they did 
Were they faithful? 4.8? 4.9? We might give them a little grace, right, for 4.8 or 4.9, but if they only did four out of the five, they weren't faithful. They didn't obey completely, fully. And then failure among leadership is very influential. God wants leaders to fall. Excuse me. Satan wants leaders to fall. Pardon me. Satan wants leaders to fall. God wants leaders to be faithful. But Satan knows that when leaders fall, it influences a lot of people, a lot of followers. I was warned in Preacher Boys, and there was an old evangelist. I cannot remember his name. I was trying to think of it. I believe it was, um, I cannot remember his name. I thought his name began with Hal. Some of you might remember, um, know who I'm talking about. But he came to Preacher Boys class and he warned us. He said, gold, glitz, and girls. Watch out. Gold, riches, the desire for wealth, it'll get you. Glitz, the desire for popularity, for fame, it'll get you. And the pride that comes with it. And then he said, girls, moral sins will get you. And that's a warning. Yes, it was intended for us as preachers, preacher boys, but it, it's a warning for, for all of us. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Those can get any of us. And so we have to be on guard and to be on the defense because Satan is a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And he never seems to rest, does he? So we must always be vigilant. Hope this has been a help to us as we've learned from the life of King Solomon. Let's bow for prayer and close in prayer. Lord, thank you for your people. Thank you for their faithfulness. Thank you for bringing us together tonight for prayer, to share our burdens, and to be under the teaching and the preaching of God's word. Thank you for the life of King Solomon. Lord, he was used greatly of you, and yet we see great failure as well. May we learn from his life, and Lord, may we not make the same mistakes he did. May we avoid the sins that captured him. May we be faithful to the very end for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here. I hope you have a great rest of the week. Men, we hope to see you on Saturday, otherwise on Sunday for the Lord's Day. Thank you. Have a great, great evening.